This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. How are you doing, George? Not bad, mate. Not bad. How's things with yourself? Yes, good. Happy New Year. First uh, podcast yeah, of 2023. I'm sure plenty more will follow. Obviously, we've had a little hiatus over the Christmas break. We've had plenty going on um, in our in my personal life. I'm expecting a child any day now, and also had a, a bit of bad family news over the over the uh, Christmas period. So it's been a bit sporadic in terms of trying to plan this and, and get a podcast out. So apologies for for the two week break. It wasn't planned, um, but we're back now. And we're looking forward to going through what's been a, a really hectic championship schedule. Obviously, three match days between when we last recorded and today on the 3rd of January. So plenty to go through. And I think the best way to surmise what's been such a busy period is uh, to pick out some of the best winners, some of the, the biggest losers over this period, and just do a brief overview of what you may have missed over the last fortnight in the championship where... I'm sure you'll have been busy um, in beer-induced comas and turkey stuff with turkey. So if you've missed any of the action, hopefully we'll bring you a nice overview of what has been going on in the Championship. And as always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this, this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And a massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all awesome up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, we're going to start with the biggest winners over the Christmas period. Now, there were four teams that took nine points out of a possible nine maximum points in the festive period, and we're going to start with Middlesbrough, who are probably the, the feel-good story in the Championship at the moment, certainly one of two. And their form has been quite simply unbelievable. They've taken 22 points from their last 10 Championship games. In their previous 10 before that, they'd managed just 11. Same group of players, different manager, of course. And Michael Carrick becomes the first manager since uh, Brian Robson in 1994 to have taken 22 points from his first 10 games in charge of Middlesbrough. And of course, they've absolutely flown up the table, as you'd expect, given how dense the championship table is this season. They've gone from 22nd to 5th, as we record today. And we've seen a few different changes and tweaks, I think, over the Christmas period as well, which is something that I've enjoyed seeing. We saw Matt Crooks get recalled. I wouldn't say in from the cold, but he definitely played a bit part role for Carrick. He'd been coming off the bench. Obviously, he'd scored a few important winners in that. The winner at Carrow Road springs to right mind before the World Cup break. But since he's come into the team, he's actually playing as a number nine. He's playing up front, which is something we haven't seen from him before. Obviously, normally he's played as a box-to-box midfielder for Rotherham United or as a number 10, late arrivals into the box, scoring goals. That's what we saw from him under Chris Wilder. But played very much up front against Birmingham and against Blackburn Rovers in the last two fixtures. And... Took his goals really well, it has to be said, particularly at St Andrews, um, where he played an instrumental role for the third winning goal. Well, the clincher, if you like, for Chuberak Pom as well, who's been completely revitalised, as we've already touched on, under Carrick, playing in that number 10 role. And they're just winning games, and they're so much harder to, 
to play against, even when they have to roll their sleeves up, they are a much tougher nut to crack than they were in the latter stages under Chris Wilder. I think we would all agree that this is a much more in keeping position in the league table of where they should have been. They were massively underperforming before Carrick came in. So you do have to caveat the success with that. They should have never really been in that position. Nonetheless, the instant transformation that we've seen, again, it just shows how dense the championship table is that you can go in 10 games from 22nd to 5th. So really, everyone's season is still alive. It's bonkers, really. And you absolutely would not bet against Middlesbrough finishing in the top six right now with the form that they are in. Definitely not. Not at the moment. I mean, you know, the transformation in them, you've mentioned there about since Carrick came, but I think the transformation they've experienced since Christmas Day is unbelievable. They jumped from 14th to 5th since Christmas Day. And that wasn't, you know, that was, as we record, nine days ago. It's only got well, nine I places the, the in gap nine days. Third and first is, is larger than the gap between third and third the relegation the zone. Probably. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous, but Middlesbrough have taken full advantage of the situation of how tight this league is this season. And You know, obviously we've not spoken for a couple of weeks, the best part of now. I think the last time we actually spoke was when they'd lost 3-1 to Burnley. And, you know, there was no disgrace in that with the way Burnley have been going. And we'll talk about them shortly. But, you know, since then they've beaten Wigan 4-1. They won at Blackburn 2-1. and They won at Birmingham 3-1 on, you know, on Bank Holiday Monday. It's been a remarkable run. And, you know, to have recorded three straight wins in a row over the Christmas period, which we know is very, very hectic. And people always say the Christmas period is quite a defining period in the season. You know, I don't think it can be considered that defining this year with how tight the league is is bunched together. But to have come through that with nine points and, you know, playing every three or four days over the Christmas period is a remarkable effort. And, you know, Michael Carrick is just continuing this revelation that, he, you know, he's been able to install at Borough. And, you know... When he got the job, I was a little bit, you know, bit concerned about how quick an impact he's going to be able to make. First proper managerial job, you know, it was obviously the championship's not an easy league to start out in, but it's been unbelievable what they've done. You know, he lost his first game at Preston the dying seconds. He lost to Burnley in his other game, which there's no disgrace in. You know, every other game bar one is won. The only other one he didn't win was a one-one draw at Bristol City, where Borough absolutely battered Bristol City on the day. If you remember the amount of chances they had. So, you know, Borough at the minute absolutely flying. Chubrak bombs in the form of his life. It's unbelievable. The numbers, 13 goals. Can you remember a player that's remarkable. Come, who was so out in the cold well, under Chris Wilder? They, were, they thought they were going to sell him. We even forgot he played unbelievable. for them, really. It's absolutely unbelievable. And believe it or not, I've actually been looking at the, the betting odds this morning, Tuesday morning. Chubrak bomb is now the favourite to win the Golden Boot. In the championship at five to one, but it's, you never yeah, would have expected that twelve months ago. You never would have expected it twelve weeks ago. Maybe, <laughs> you know, twelve twelve days ago, maybe it's been a remarkable shift in performance levels from him. But you know, Michael Carrick deploying him into that number ten position, it's absolutely worked unbelievably. He's you know he scored a hat trick on Boxing Day. We've not spoken since that. His numbers since Michael Carrick came in are absolutely unbelievable. And you know what's best about him. He's only played 19 games in the Championship this season and he's got 14 goal contributions. Scored 13 and got one assist in 19 games. That is an unbelievable return. So, you know, he's gone from being completely on the, you know, on the outskirts of the, the main 11, even the matchday squad in some parts, and now all of a sudden he's Middlesbrough's go-to man. He is the main man, along arguably with Matt Crooks. So, 
you know, it's been an unbelievable transformation in him. The whole squad, you know, is playing now with a sense of energy, a sense of belief, and there's such a winning mentality that Carrick's installed there so quickly. And, you know, <coughs> Middlesbrough now, like you said, we expected them to be up there at the very beginning of the season, probably more for the fact of who the manager was rather than who the players were because, you know, Chris Wilder, his record at this level speaks for itself after what he did at Sheffield United. But you look at Borough now, and obviously the ambition now they've got into that top six is is can they stay there? You look ahead at their next few games, Millwall at home, Sunderland away, Watford at home. Some big, big games coming up against the teams in and around them chasing the same objective. So, you know, for Borough, it's, it's an opportunity now to prove just how good they are. And, you know, I'll, I'll look at this weekend, obviously it's FA Cup weekend, they've got Brighton at home. I could see Middlesbrough winning that one, to be honest. And who knows if they do win that, the confidence that's going to generate beating a Premier League side. So, for Borough, I mean, a remarkable effort. And, you know, if they can maybe just add one or two more in this month's transfer window, I think they've got every chance of getting up there because, you know, they're only going to get better as time goes on the longer they work with Michael Carrick. But the, the, the impact he's had, it's absolutely remarkable. And, you know, if they do finish in the top six, whether they then go on to achieve promotion or not, he's definitely going to be a contender for manager of the season with the way he's turned things around so quickly. So, for Borough at the minute, I mean, terrific form. Six wins in seven. They're scoring a good rate of goals as well, that must be said. You know, they are putting teams to the sword as well. So, you know, over the Christmas period, they scored nine goals in three games. The only thing they'd want to do is try and add some clean sheets to that. They've gone six games without a clean sheet. So, you know, that might be an area where he needs to look at. But overall, a remarkable impact and what a run they're having. Interesting, because the point I was just about to make was that I think they have been miles better defensively, although they are... As you say, they haven't had that many shutouts. They I haven't, think... but to be fair, in all of those games, bar the Burnley game, they've only conceded one. So and it's I not think that they're leaking the rapidly. Thing, isn't it? As, as a team, yeah. you can never legislate for a worldly strike or, or a good bit of incisive play from the opposition. I think conceding no goals and one goal is, is the aim for all teams, really. Oh, of course. And I think under Chris Wilder, we saw a lot of rotation, a lot of chopping and changing. He didn't know what his best back three was at the time. Matt Clark came in and played on the left. We had Lenehan playing on the left. We had Fry on the left. We had Dyke Steels in at times, Smith in at times, Paddy McNair. It was it was all mixed and matched. But since Carrick has come in, it's been quite clear. Tommy Smith at right back, Dale Fry, Daryl Lenehan, Ryan Giles. And I think the players have really benefited from that continuity and, at the back. You know, it works. The stats prove it. It's a nice blend. You know, you've got Tommy Smith on the right, very experienced. Lenehan the same. Fry, you know, experienced. Ryan Giles. You know, young, exciting prospect, but also knows a good deal about this league. So it's certainly working. And for Borough, I mean, the transformation, as I've said just a few minutes ago, it's absolutely unbelievable. So the target for them now is, can they stay there? Another big winner from the festive period, George, was Luton Town. And the Rob Edwards era has lift off. Late winners against Norwich City and Huddersfield, sandwiched in between a comprehensive 3-0 win at Queen's Park Rangers. I think, for me, the player that stood out during this period has got to be Alfie Doughty. Um, obviously signed in the summer. Hasn't played a great deal of football in general since he joined Stoke City from Charlton, where he broke through. And a really exciting prospect, I think. I always liked the look of him. I thought he was tailor-made, personally, to play left wing-back. And he's actually been playing on the right-hand side for Luton under Rob Edwards. And it's given them an extra dimension in attack. And I think if you've seen the goals scored against QPR in particular, where 
He plays a lovely one-two with Carlton Morris. It's fizzed in at him and he just arrows a shot into the top corner. He also played an instrumental goal, pretty much the reverse partnership. In fact, he set up Morris for the opener at QPR. So he's been a really important player for them. And I think he's an asset for a championship club. And Luton are really good at this, aren't they? Where they pick up players that haven't have lost their way a little bit, haven't quite found their form or had a big move and it didn't work out in the case of someone like Luke Freeman, for example. And Luton are really good at picking up those players and getting them back on track. You know, Carlton Morris, to a certain extent, he's completely had an upward turn in his career since leaving permanently and, and, and going to Luton um, as well. So I think they're really good at that. I also think it's been really important. They've had Peli Rudakampanzu back, who's a big contributor. He's been injured for a lot of a lot of 2022, really. And we sort of got used to seeing Lansbury as that deeper midfielder with Alan Campbell and, and Jordan Clark as, as the two number eights, high pressing, lots of energy. Since Mpanzu's come back, it's actually coincided with Lansbury being injured. So Jordan Clark's gone into that more sitting role and it gives Mpanzu and, and Campbell full license to go forward. And I think Mpanzu's probably got a little bit more quality in the final third than, than Clark in that advanced role. I think Clark's probably a better contributor off the ball and probably a better presser probably more ball recoveries. But I think Campanzo just adds that little bit of quality on the ball as a number eight. And I think he's been really good as well. And I think with Luton in general, we wondered if Rob Edwards would be able to eke out that little bit extra, that extra 10% that's got them fighting and, and back in to the playoff pr- promotion picture. And they did that so well under Nathan Jones. They got those extra 1% all across the pitch. And that's what got them fighting against bigger budgets. Can Rob Edwards come in and do that? So far, so good with nine points out of nine. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, when you consider that, you know, he's had three away games in his first four since he got the job, it's been a remarkable impact that he's had. And, it, you know, I was speaking to somebody about this the other day, actually, and it just feels like Rob Edwards and Luton is just the perfect fit. You know, he, he didn't, even though we, we praised the job, you know, of Watford to recruit him in the summer, choosing, you know, going for a young British manager and one that was up and coming. And, you know, it seemed like a changing tack from them. It never deep down felt quite like the right fit. But this one at Luton does feel like the right fit. And, you know, he's had a remarkable impact in the fact that he's won three of his first four. Three of those four away, have been away from home as well. And like Middlesbrough, so won three, three in a row over the Christmas period. He's no mean feat. And, you know, I, I saw the bulk of the game at QPR um, last week when they won 3-0. And they were a class above QPR that evening. They played really, really well. We're on the front foot, dominated majority of the game. You know, stunning goal from Doherty at the end to wrap it up. Carlton Morris with a couple, you know, and then he got the assist for Doherty. So, you know, everybody's pulling together at Luton. And they're really ticking along ever so nicely. And I just like the way that Rob Edwards has gone in there. Not really changed an awful lot. But just, you know, found a way to just get a few more wins on the board and things like that. So I think he'd be really, really pleased with the impact he's had. Three wins in a row over the Christmas period, not to be sniffed at in the Championship. You know, they're only outside of the playoffs now on on goal difference. You know, things look very good for Luton. You know, after getting in the top six last year, you know, coming up short against Huddersfield at the semi-final stage, could they get in the top six again this time around? I think with the way the league is, I think they've got just as much chance as anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that extra bit of depth they added in the summer could be really important. We saw the run they put together at the start of 2022. You know, it wasn't a great start to last season for them. They were about mid-table this time, 12 months ago. And we saw the run that they managed to put together to get themselves up into the playoff places, finishing sixth in the end. And I think that 
they've got a little bit more depth this year. You know, we've not really seen a great deal of Woodrow. Luke Freeman's not been in the team that much. So I think he has got options, Rob, Rob Edwards, if he wants to change things around a little bit, freshen things up when those free game match weeks come along. And it's been a really good festive period for Luton Town, as it has been for West Brom, George, who, like Middlesbrough, have been on a, a phenomenal run of form since they made their managerial changes. And it was maximum points over the Christmas period as they continue to motor on under Carlos Corberan. As we said when the appointment came, we thought it was a good appointment for the long term. Did we think that there'd be an instant impact? I think it was hard to judge because we'd had one season under Huddersfield where it had looked a little bit chaotic and one season under Huddersfield where they'd been pretty much faultless and finishing in the top three. And obviously, they're only one game away from, from promotion last season. So we didn't know what version we'd see. And, and for me, it's quite instant. We've seen the, the improvement in the coaching and the fact that they look like Huddersfield from last year, pretty much. They're so well drilled, keeping clean sheets. And you would have to say this squad has got an extra dollop of individual quality compared to that Huddersfield squad. And if you keep teams out, ultimately, which West Brom are doing so well at the minute, it's, it's now 15 hours of football without conceding a goal, that's 900 minutes in open play, then you don't need a lot to go and win championship matches ultimately. Daryl DK's return has obviously been a huge boost and with the likes of Jed Wallace and Matt Phillips delivering quality as well, they can score goals and they've now got that backbone, that real resilience and quality to keep the opposition out as well. And it doesn't take a lot to win games in the championship if you can keep clean sheets. And West Brom have been so good at doing that they look so organised in, in, in defence, so much better structurally off the ball. And I think that has been the main difference with Carlos Corbran coming in. Yeah, the, you know, the, the impact Carlos Corbran has had there has been, it's been off the scale really, hasn't it, to be fair to him. You know, when he got the job, we all said what a good appointment it was, but the concern was, could he have an impact as, as quickly as West Brom fans had hoped for when, you know, you look back to his Huddersfield time and it did take him a while to, you know, bed in what he wanted to do and get things moving. But, I mean, what what an impact he's had! It's absolutely unbelievable. To be fair to him, you know, it's it, it's it's quite frankly frightening just how well he's done so far. You know, eight wins in his first ten. They're not conceding goals at all. You know, DK, like you said, he's back in the goals now. He's back in the team. It, it's it's set up nicely for West Brom to have a really really strong second half of this season. And you know, you look at the stats: twenty four points from a possible thirty, seven clean sheets in ten. Eight wins in ten, conceded just four goals, and two of them were against Sheffield United as well in Corbran's first game in charge. You know, so he, he didn't exactly have the easiest of fixtures to start with. But the transformation has just been unbelievable. And you know, I said at the time under Steve Bruce, it was obvious that these players were capable of much, much better with the quality that they got throughout that team in in all areas of the team. Really, even though at the time they were lacking a potent number nine, but now DK's back. They are going to get the goals from somewhere on a regular basis, you would think. But, you know, they're a point outside the playoffs now. And like Middlesbrough, you would not bet against them not finishing the season in the playoffs with the, with the individual quality they've got. So I really think there's a chance for West Brom to, to get into the top six this season and, you know, potentially have a stout promotion. I mean, you look at the latest betting odds for, for West Brom to go up. They've been cut all the way down now to nine to two which shows just how quickly the, the, the mood has changed around the Hawthorns. So, you know, they are the fourth favourites for promotion now. That That is remarkable from where they were when Corbran took over. So, full credit to him. He's done a remarkable job. He's turned things around very, very quickly. The players are clearly 
buying into what he wants. The fans are obviously loving it with the with the results they're getting, with the performances they're producing. And, you know, they just keep setting all these records, I think, after the, the win over Preston in midweek last last Thursday night when they won that game 2-0. It was the first time since 2007 they'd won four home games in a row without conceding. They obviously stretched that now to five with the win over Reading on Bank Holiday Monday. Again, another clean sheet. So all the stats make really good viewing and, you know, they're playing some great football. DK's back. He's scored some goals now. And, you know, you wouldn't bet against West Brom carrying on this hot streak. So for me, along with Borough, I think they've got every chance of finishing the top six this season because you would like to think the longer Carlos Corbran works with them, they're only going to get better. And as well as that, let's see if they can get one or two bodies through the door this month. Who do you think's likely to finish higher or who do you think's more likely to finish in the playoffs, West Brom or Middlesbrough? For me, West Brom, I I think West Brom are a shoe in now. I think they're so well drilled. They do look very good, but so do Borough. And, you know, I wouldn't bet against both of them getting in there. But I think in terms of individual quality, you would have to go with West Brom in terms of the better individuals. But Michael Carrick has built a really solid team. And that, that, I think, is the key for Middlesbrough. They've got that real team bond and that team energy amongst them and now. Who's going to say, Who do you think is going to finish higher? If I had to pick one, I think at this moment in time, I would go with West Brom at the moment, even though Middlesbrough are ahead of them currently, albeit by a point. But, you know, West Brom have just got... They've got a lot of experience in that team and a lot of top-end championship players that I think, in comparison to Middlesbrough, you would consider better individuals. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to Borough's players. But, you know, West Brom, you look at the likes of Jed Wallace, John Swift, Matt Phillips, DK, you know, they've got a lot of individuals there that have been around the championship for quite a while and have been top-end performers in this league. So, for West Brom, I think they've got a very, very good chance of getting into the top six. And to be honest with you, I think it'll take a hell of a lot to stop them because, like you said, if they can keep this run of clean sheets going, then they're only heading in one direction. And finally, George, the league leaders. Burnley, nine points out of nine, no slip-ups. Almost, we've left them till last because they're least interesting to talk about. But I mean that in the most complimentary fashion possible because they just keep winning. They are the best team in the league. No slip-ups, just pure quality. Different sides of their game in the three wins as well. Six scored, so dominant against Birmingham. You know, in a game which they took the lead inside 60 seconds, they only conceded one shot, which was off target. For the rest of the game, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, so get like to, to be able to have that level of control in a championship game is pretty unheard of. Then they go and scrap one out at Stoke, win one nil, and then again some good moments against Swansea and they win two one. Ian Matson on the score sheet twice. Different scorers as we've said all season, whether it's Zaruri, Teller, uh, Benson, Rodriguez, Barnes, they've got the lot and company has done so well to integrate this style so quickly. The level of dominance they have on teams, particularly at home, is quite silly. And they're probably going to strengthen in January. You know, if they added another striker in January or another... I don't even know what else they might need, really. Maybe a bit of depth in central midfield with Ashley Westwood leaving and Matt Loughton's going to leave as well, although they've already got Vitinho and... um, and Connor Roberts is right back option. So I think strike if they added a strike, I mean Jerry Regas is fantastic and he does a very selfless role for the team as well. But another forward and, and they would be pretty unstoppable, I think. Burnley have just have just been fantastic, haven't they? They've been unbelievable. They really have. And you know, 
you've got to be honest with this Burnley side. There's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about they're only up there because they've got parachute payments. I don't, I don't buy into that for a second. I really don't. Burnley, you know, after so many years under Sean Dyche, required a big culture reset in the summer. Vincent Company came in, delivered that, tried to change the whole style of play, absolutely overhauled the playing squad. And as well as that, obviously had to fight against the backdrop of relegation from the Premier League, you know, which will have left a will have left an impact on the club. It will have, you know, it will have hurt them. It will have, will have taken its toll. Just because you get a bit of money to compensate, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt people in and around the club. So Vincent Company's come in and completely, you know, he's ripped the blueprint of previous years to shreds, and he's started again, literally from scratch. And the run of form that they have put together this season is unbelievable. I mean, two defeats. In 26 games this season, it's an unbelievable turn. Only one championship team in history has lost fewer games at this point in the season, and that was the record-breaking Reading side of 2005-2006. So that that you know that's what they're on par with at the minute. You know, it's unbelievable. Ten wins in 11 games. It is absolutely remarkable. It, it's just you know for a team that you know was assembled in the summer with. You know, what was it? 15, 16 new signings, a lot of foreign imports as well. Didn't know the league, didn't know English football all that well. Vincent Companies are an absolutely sterling job. And you can see already that countless individuals, both permanent signings and loan signings, are improving under his guidance. There's no doubt about that. There's so many players that have caught the eye. Benson, Josh Cullen, Nathan Teller, Ian Matson, who scored twice at Swansea, of course, on Monday. The list goes on. There's so many players that have been, you know, absolutely top draw for Burnley this season. And to be honest with you, I think you can already consider them promoted. I, I, I just, they, they are not going to falter from this position. It would be, it would be borderline impossible. I really cannot see it. I, I, you know, people say you're jumping the gun a little bit too early. You can't get too carried away too soon. You know, they're 14 points clear a third, and we're only, you know, we're, we're on the third of January. It's an absolutely remarkable pace that they've set at the summit. And, you know, they, they've only, I think they've only failed to score in one game all season. That's another unbelievable stat. So, for me, Vincent Company might as well start, you know, he might as well start putting the champagne bottles in the fridge now. He might as well. Might as well get the party bus ordered, get the banners prepared from, with the Skybet promotion ones, get them, get, them on, get them on order, get them put in the cupboard ready for May. But, you know, it's just... As I say, remarkable the way that things have been turned around in such a short space of time in terms of the overall playing style, the philosophy and the culture. So I take my hat off to him. He's done a terrific job. And like you say, with one or two more additions in this month's window, even though, you know, I think they'd be fine even if they didn't make one addition. It's 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 quite frightening what they could achieve. And, you know, you look at it, I think they could every chance break the 100-point barrier this season. I think they've got an excellent chance of doing that. So. Full credits them doing a remarkable job as uh, Vincent Company, and I think the the thing already is even though he won't want to think about it yet, is just what could he do with his team maybe in the Premier League with obviously a very different style to what we've been used to over the last decade or so when they've been in the Premier League. So for Burnley, they're on a roll at the minute; they're absolutely flying. And to be honest with you, I think they might as well start tying the claret and blue ribbons around the Championship trophy already. Who was the last team to break the hundred point mark? Was it Leicester? Possibly. Was that 2013-14? Yes. I think it was. I think it was less. No, it definitely was because it was two seasons before the Yeah, before the... Yeah. So, I think it was Leicester. 
Yeah, Leicester got 102 with Burnley, not too far behind them on 93 in second. Yeah, that was when Joey Barton was playing for them. Yeah. No, no, he arrived the couple of seasons after, 2015-16 yeah, when they won the league. Yeah, so yeah, you know they, they've kind of flirted a little bit, haven't they, between the you know the Premier League and the Championship in that period. But you know, Burnley have you know their record in the Championship is something like the last three seasons they've been in this league. I think they've only lost something like ten games. It's an unbelievable return for you know for the cut and thrust nature of the Championship, how relentless and how crucial, uh, how cruel it can be. It's unbelievable their record at this level. It's it's ridiculous to be honest. It's been a very positive half an hour. Now let's get on to some teams that have struggled. And we'll start with the managerial change in the Championship that's happened in the last fortnight, which is Norwich City. Dean Smith out. Of course, we did cover a lot of the reasons why we felt that this was coming on the podcast we did last. So, no big surprise. Don't need to go into a massive um, obituary about why this has gone wrong, because we went into a lot of those things on the last podcast. But it, it was quite inevitable. I feel like there's a lot of similarities between Norwich this season and West Brom last season. West Brom actually started last season really well under Valerie Ishmael. And it was about this time the wheel started to really come off. And Ishmael got sacked, I think it was February. And I can see Norwich finishing just mid-table obscurity. Because even when Norwich have been up in, in, in around the, the top two and the top six, I've not been convinced, particularly defensively. And I think the hot finishing that was getting them out of jail has obviously subsided. It's an ageing squad. It just reminds me, I just see so many parallels to West Brom last season, if I'm being completely honest. And even more so because they obviously appointed Steve Bruce, which was never an appointment that we thought was going to work or made logical sense. And of course, the favourite for the Norwich job right now is David Wagner, who hasn't done anything positive since getting Huddersfield promoted, I think it's fair to say. His record since then, bearing in mind he got them promoted in 2017, so that was six years ago, is pretty awful. And I don't, you know, you can be proved wrong, but I do not think Norwich City will be in a better place for bringing in him, him in personally, especially when there's the likes of Chris Wilder and other people available on the market. Even someone like Chris Uton would be a steadier pair of hands, I think. There's a lot of good managers out there still, Liam Richardson, although I imagine he'd probably not be the first pick. But it's, it's remarkable how something changes because like Liam Richardson was linked with the West Brom job and now you'd probably say the most likely job he'll get next is the Portsmouth job in League One because he got sat by Wigan. It's so weird how football management and perception changes. I think if he was still at Wigan, I think he'd probably have a better shout for this job than the fact he's out of work, which is absolutely bonkers. But there's a lot of decent managers out there. Wagner is not the way to go. They've got a four-man shortlist, according to the latest reports, and they're hoping to have a new appointment in by the time they played Blackburn Rovers on Sunday in the FA Cup. They've been in bad form. They just look devoid of any real attacking structure. Defensively, I think the players are ageing. They've been full of mistakes. And I think the squad might be as much of a problem as the person in the dugout. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't get more out of this squad. I definitely think there's enough quality in it to be a top six team. But I don't think the squad is at the same level of when they got promoted and won the league the last two times, particularly, obviously, given the admission of someone like Emi Buendia, who was the star quality. I think the other players are older, maybe lost a little bit of motivation, having got promoted twice and failed to make any sort of mark in the Premier League. I think Dean Smith can't have any real complaints about losing his job, but I'm not convinced that the slide will stop now that he's left. 
No, I don't. To be honest with you, and to be honest with you, I don't really know who would be the best fit for this job. To be honest, because I think it is a case of there is that bigger job to be done. I think whoever does take this job, and you know, a lot of the pointers suggest it will be David Wagner. That's a bad appointment. Uh, I think it's not just me. What do you think? I wouldn't say it's you know I wouldn't say it's bad. I think there's a hell of a lot worse out there. It wouldn't be my top pick to choose, but I don't think it's you know one that screams horrendous, horrendous. It's not. You know, it's not exactly awful, but I just think back and do ponder. <laughs> Did they make a mistake getting rid of Daniel Farker? I know they were in the Premier League at the time, but would they have been better sticking with him, perhaps? Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know. But, you know, you look at this Norwich team and obviously they've had a really poor run over Christmas. One point for a possible nine. You know, they've won one in five since the, the season resumed after the World Cup. And that was a very, very fortunate victory away at Swansea, who absolutely battered them on the day. So, you know, they've been they've been very, very poor since, since the World Cup break. And, you know, you look at their next two league games, the back-to-back away from home, Preston away. Yep, Preston's home form's questionable. It's never an easy place to visit Deepdale. And Coventry away, who can spring a surprise and spring a good result on any given day, even though they've stuttered a little bit recently. So, it's not exactly going to get any, any easier on the fixture front for Norwich. But I think I agree with what you, a lot of you said. I think a lot of it is, you know, probably more the squad than the manager itself because it is an ageing team. I think it's a squad that's been it's been too samey for quite a while now. It needs, you know, a bit like Burnley in a way. It's been the same for a long time and then that was ripped up in the summer. And I think that does need to be the case of an Orich, to be fair. I think they do need a bit of a reset in this, this coming summer. Absolutely, you know, next to no chance I would have thought that they'll be, you know, preparing a yet. reset having got to the Premier League. But and yet they so easily could when we think about they, what they we've could spoken do. about with Middlesbrough, with West Brom. If yeah. they get this appointment right, they could yeah. easily finish in the playoffs. They could do. They could promoted. do. Every chance. It's it's such a weird league this year, but and to be fair, I, I question Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough, Norwich's recruitment in the summer. And, you know, they did, for me, they didn't do enough. They just did not do enough. They brought in four new bodies for the first team squad. Sara, Nunez, Isaac Hayden and Ramsey. Ramsey's now returned to Aston Villa. He's gone back. So, you know, they've not really changed the squad at all since getting relegated at the end of last season. And, you know, they, they did move on quite a few players last summer. So, it's like, honestly, I think of it and I look at it and I think they need to get to the summer. And, you know, literally hit the reset button and build again. I think that is where Norwich are at as a club now. It's been a very similar type team for, for several years. But now I think they're in a position where they need to strip things back and rebuild and go again. Because whoever gets this job, you know, there's nothing to say that they can't come in and have an impact similar to what Carrick's done at Borough and what Corbrand's done at West Brom. But I look at that Norwich squad and I just don't think it is as good as the other two other mentioned teams. I really don't at the minute. Yeah, they've still got really good individuals. Pookie being obviously the main man at the top end of the pitch. But for me, they've not really got somebody who's got that, you know, that energy and that sparkle about them to, you know, flip the game on a, you know, on a coin in the the heat of the moment. I think, you know, it's quite an aging team. It's a similar team. And, you know, in a way, I don't understand. It's a bit bit dull, isn't it? In a way, it's, it's just a bit dull and, you know, not... You know, it's not very exciting, to be fair. So, I think there's a lot to be done for Norwich. You know, Todd Campwell, for me, he's gone backwards this season. He's got nowhere near the levels he did in previous years in the Championship. You know, Pookie scored a few goals, but he's, you know, he's 
He's not getting any younger, shall we say. So, you know, big changes need to come at Norwich, to be fair. And I think it is a case that that's not going to happen until the summer. So whoever comes in for me in this, in this, you know, this period, if they can get somebody in pretty quick, which it sounds like it is pretty imminent, I think it is a case it's got to be with a with a vision of a long-term plan rather than an immediate short-term revolution. So we never know. We never expected Corbran and Carrick to have the impacts they had. So there's nothing to suggest it couldn't happen at Norwich. But I'm just not convinced with the way they've been playing in recent weeks. They look really flat, really, really flustered. And I think, you know, in a way that they're kind of a club that probably can't wait for the summer to come to start rebuilding. Another club that made a recent managerial change. It hasn't paid off, George. Wigan Athletic. And to me, they are showing all signs of a club that is going to get relegated. They're trying to play a more expansive style under Colo Torre. They have not got the players to do it, particularly in defence. No disrespect to Curtis Till and Jack Watmore. I think they've got good qualities. I think they can play at championship level. I think they can play under Liam Richardson. And I thought at the time it was a bad decision. And I'm sorry, I'm not seeing anything, albeit we're four games in, that suggests to me that Wigan Athletic are more likely to stay in the championship under Colo Torre than they were under Liam Richardson. I, I think they look a little bit doomed right now. I think if they wanted to make this change and change the style of football, that's fine. They should have done it in the summer as in the summer coming up. They should have stayed up with Richardson, which I think they would have. I think they would have stayed up under Liam Richardson. They should have got to the summer, tried to stay up, and then made a change if that's what they felt was necessary for the long-term vision of the club. They've conceded 12 times over their last three games. The home form is awful, and in fairness, it was awful under Richardson this season. So that's not all on Colo Torre, but I just don't think he's got the players to play the way he wants to play. And changing your style midway through a season when you're battling relegation, particularly when you're going from attritional to expansive, you know, if they were going from expansive to attritional, that's more likely to, to work. It's easier to coach. If the players haven't got the technical quality and ability to play the football you want, you are going to give gift away goals and they haven't got enough firepower at the other end to compensate for that. So for me, I'm really concerned about Wigan Athletic. I think it was a bad change I think it was a bad change in general. I really like Liam Richardson, but I think it was bad timing mainly. I think the, the timing is worse than the actual switch, albeit I don't think it's an upgrade anyway. We're only four games in. This could really, you know, this could change really quickly, but I, I don't see how Wigan m- majestically find a way to get these players playing fluent football the way Torre wants to, and they're too open and they're too defensively vulnerable right now. I mean, some of the goals they gave away against Hull, they lost to 4-1 to Hull, obviously, yesterday, as we record. They were shocking. They were really bad goals to give away. And that's Hull City, who have not been in great form themselves, albeit they picked up seven points out of nine over Christmas. Think of what a Burnley or a Sheffield United could do. It, It just, I don't feel very, I have very little reason to think that this will change and feel positively about Wigan right now. Are they going to go and spend masses of money and fix things in January? I don't see why they would. They didn't spend anywhere near enough or Batley and Richardson enough in the summer. It's pretty much the same squad that got promoted, plus Nathan Broadhead in attack and a few other loanies and a few little tweaks here and there. They needed more in the summer. They need plenty in January if they're going to try and move to this new, more expansive style. And for me, I think Wigan are more likely to be playing League One football than Championship football next season right now. Yeah, I don't think anybody can possibly disagree with that sentiment, to be honest with you. I mean, 
when you've lost three games over Christmas, all by the same scoreline, at four goals to one, that is not good. Regardless of who you are, it's it's a torrid record, and you know to have lost back to back home games four one as well. You know, and especially to uh, to a whole side, even though you know they have picked up, but they're hardly you know they're hardly at the level of say Burnley or somebody like that. So really, really poor. And you know, I've just looked, and Wigan have only picked up four points since they sacked Liam Richardson on the tenth of November. What sort of you know change has that made? Absolutely none. I I couldn't understand the decision at the time, and I do certainly don't get it now. I mean. A lot of Wigan fans are pointing the blame at the board and those at the top of the club rather than Colo Torre, which I understand. You know, Colo Torre's only been in charge for a handful of games, only had five games so far, but he's lost four of the first five, picking up one point. You know, it's not exactly a good start, is it? And, you know, he, the, the style of play that he wants to implement, which, you know, he, he's clearly trying to think positively and, and get things moving, but he has not got the players to do it. He's got to work to the needs and, the you know, the capabilities of the players he's got. At the minute, they are a sinking ship. There's no doubt about it. You know, the rock bottom of the league now, they've lost three in a, four in a row, three of them by four goals to one. You know, they, they look an absolute shambles, to be honest with you. And, you know, the defensive you're talking about there, they've not kept a clean sheet since the 11th of October. And that was when they beat, when they beat Blackburn 1-0. So you're having to go back quite a while to, you know, to prove that they are actually capable of getting a result without conceding and leaking goals. So, I didn't understand the move for Colotor at the time, even though it was, you know, it was clearly a forward-thinking one, something a little bit different, a bit outside of the box that could have worked. But at the, at the minute, it's just not working. And when you're in that situation, I think the last thing that you need is a, you know, a young manager who's, you know, got no experience of managing in English football at all. Obviously, he's worked in England for a long time as a player and as a coach at Leicester as well. But in terms of being a manager and in the Championship as well, in terms of its, you know, its ruthlessness. It was for me, it just strikes as being the wrong appointment at the wrong time, totally. So, personally, I, I just can't see how we can get out of this, to be honest with you. I know there's a hell of a long way to go and how, you know, how quickly we've seen Middlesbrough and West Brom fly at the table. Things can change, admittedly, they can change. But at the minute, I just don't see it for Wigan. They look, you know, they look a team that's constantly hitting the self-destruct button. They're a defensive shambles. They're leaking goals for fun. They're barely scoring goals. So, you know, at the minute, the stats only only suggest one thing is going to happen, and that is relegation back to League One again. So, you know, you can point the fingers at the owners. You can question them. The backing that Liam Richardson got in the summer, he deserved more for the job he did last season. You know, you look back to last season, Wigan, one of the favourites to get relegated to League Two. They went and won the League One title. It was it was a remarkable effort. And they sacked him, you know, four months later. It was absolutely ridiculous, the fact that they did that, I thought, at the time. And looking at it now, I think it only proves my point even further. They're on a shocking, shocking run. One win in the last six games, you know, since um, Liam Richardson went. So it's not exactly worked out well, has it, to be fair? So I think the target for them moving forward, you know, after the FA Cup is a trip to Cardiff away from home. Big, big game, that one. Really big game. And, you know, if they lose 4-1 again, I think it's going to be becoming quite comical more than anything else. I think the only hope for them is we've seen with Huddersfield over Christmas you can get back to back wins pretty quickly in the championship with a bit of luck and a little bit of yeah. good feeling and, and, and confidence that comes back into players with that I do think they have a squad playing the right way I think they would have stayed up under Liam Richardson so it's not beyond them it's not beyond they need to be most. more workmanlike don't they rather than flamboyant and vibrant 
But that's not what they want to do, and clearly that's the risk the owners no. were prepared to take by making the managerial change that they but did. But it isn't working. <laughs> but it quite clearly is not working at this moment in time. Not at all. But things can change quite quickly. But right now it, it seems they like can. they're heading, heading in one direction, and that is downwards. One of the probably more surprising strugglers over Christmas, George, has been Birmingham City. Bit of a head-scratcher with them, but I, I think this one comes down to squad depth. Obviously, they were flying high in the top half of the table under John Eustace, and I think reality has, has kicked in a little bit of where the squad is. I think the starting eleven is quite clearly competitive in, in mid-table in the top half of the championship, but when the games come thick and fast and, and when injuries start to set in, as they inevitably do in the championship, we've seen Scott Hogan out with injury, we've seen them have to move things around a little bit, I think there's a big drop-off between that starting eleven and the players they've got in reserve to come in. And I think we've seen that, and that's been the reason why they've struggled so much, particularly in attack. I think they're also quite reliant on the low knees to lift the ceiling of the of the starting eleven. You know, Hannibal, Christian Bielik, and that's always a concern for me going into January, where they are the players that are sort of lifting the ceiling of this squad. And if they were to be recalled, obviously they've got Chong permanently now, which is a big boost, but... If they were to lose one or both of those, that would be a big concern for me in terms of would they be able to replace them? Probably not, you would suggest. So, yeah, I think this one is is not really taught us anything new about Birmingham because I think we all knew the squad was still a concern in terms of depth and quality and depth in reserve. But I think the Christmas period has really hammered that, that point home and, and given us some evidence to back up what we probably already thought. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, Birmingham, as I said on the last episode, I've probably seen more of them than any other team in the Championship this season, given they seem to have got a, a deal to be on Sky Sports every Friday night. So I've probably oh, seen... probably, Yeah, it always seems to be, doesn't it? Friday nights, live on Sky, and, you know, you get your, you get your weekly dosage of Birmingham City Football Club. So I've, I have seen a fair bit of them this season. And to be fair to them, when I've seen them at home, they've looked quite good. But over the Christmas period, they, you know, they have taken a step back. They have They have struggled to get results. and. You know, to be fair to them, they've you know they've not had the easiest of run over Christmas. It should be said they've played Burnley away from home. They've played an absolutely informed Middlesbrough side. You know, you, you probably would have expected defeats in those games. It's the whole it's the whole defeat in the middle of those two that probably stands out as being the the real you know real shock and poor result. And I think the lack of goals as well. One goal in three games that you know after a blistering first half against Reading when they scored three before half time. The goals have dried up since then. So maybe we are now beginning to see a more realistic, you know, sort of situation and point where Birmingham are at. Maybe we did get a little bit too ahead of ourselves thinking that they could, you know, mount a playoff push. So, you know, it's just a reminder perhaps to John Eustace that there is still a lot of work to be done. But on the flip side of that, they're only four points off 11th place, which if you offered any Birmingham fan a top half finish at the start of this season, that have snapped your hand off with everything that's gone off behind the scenes in recent months. And, you know, John Eustace, there were questions even if he was going to start the season with Birmingham with everything going on. So, you know, overall, I think on the whole, it has been a, a positive season so far. They've lost their way a little bit in the last, you know, sort of 10 days or so over the Christmas period. So, you know, it's not exactly disastrous. It's just a little bit disappointing. I don't think for two minutes they'll get sucked into the relegation battle. I think they're too good for that even though obviously nobody is ever too good to go down. But I do think, you know, they'll have enough to stave off that threat. So it's just a case of, I think, get out of this little slump that they've experienced recently as quickly as possible. Get a couple of wins on the board and I think they'll be fine. So, you know, they've got Forest Green next in the FA Cup third round. 
if they can win that, that's bound to inject a little bit of confidence back into the group ahead of the league, resuming again in just over a week's time. So, yeah, I think there's reasons to be positive for Birmingham, even if the last couple of weeks have been a little bit disappointing. So, overall, you know, they're probably doing for what you would have expected this season. I don't think they'll go down for a minute. They can get in the top half. Great achievement. Let's not forget, a couple of weeks ago, they were seventh. So, you know, a few just a few bad results in the, in the way that a few positive results can lift you back up pretty quick. So, disappointing period, but I don't think there's any reason for the alarm bells to be ringing too much. But I do think the alarm bells are ringing at New York Stadium. Rotherham United in big trouble. One win in 11 matches under Matt Taylor. And in the time since of that run, they've conceded 26 times in 11 games. That is a huge concern. And they're just not competitive away from home whatsoever. They're not winning at the New York Stadium anymore, which was the fulcrum of their survival hopes two years ago. It was the bedrock of their good start to the season. And they are just not winning at home because they can't keep the ball out their own net. They're defending really, really poorly. I think there's been a lot of individual errors. I think for the first time in... We've probably been waiting for this moment for a long time. I think Richard Wood is starting to look his age. I think it's probably showing that at championship level you can't rely on. How old is Richard Wood now? 38? He's going on. I'm going to have a look how old he is. I can't remember exactly. He is, is 37. 37. You can't rely. Turns 38 in July. He's, they've over-relied on him for a long time. And make it absolutely clear, he's absolutely exceeded expectations for many, many years. I think it's finally catching up with him, though, right now. He's been left out of a couple of squads as well. And they just look really poor. Injuries have really hit them as well in recent weeks. Ben Wiles looks like he might miss the rest of the season with an ankle injury. Um, you look at the strength of the bench against Millwall. It's it's, it's really really weak, isn't it? It's you know, I would I would honestly say that they have you know possi- possibly on par with Wigan. I think it is the poorest squad in the championship in terms of the overall squad. I, you know, I would the, think the, so. I mean, you look at the bench. This flashes of brilliance in the eleven. They got in terms of outfield players: uh, Bowler, who's a left back; Jake Hull, who's a young centre back; McCart, a centre back out of favour; Norton Cuffey, a right wing back; Cohen Bramall, left wing back; and Hamish Douglas, who is a youngster. That that were the options they got. It's they nothing, got is injuries, it? Even to players like Tommy Eves, who I think I've been quite clear that I don't particularly think are Championship standard. <laughs> they need really big help in January and I'm not sure they're going to get it and when you've got players like Barlazer being sought after by Middlesbrough if reports are to be believed oh Benny's out of contract I just think that Rotherham are going to get relegated unfortunately I, can, I can't see anything that's going to stop this side I think they're only likely to get weaker and reality in reality they need to get stronger so definitely definitely was already concerned about Rotherham but Wigan and Rotherham in for my mind along with probably you'd say Huddersfield right now, are probably my favourites to get relegated. I think you could put Blackpool in that mix. I think you could put Cardiff in that mix as well, potentially. But I think I think all five of them teams are probably bad enough to get relegated. Partic- maybe not Cardiff, but particularly those four. And I think one of them is going to stay up by the other three teams being really poor. And... I think Rotherham and Wigan are certainly going to contribute to that fight. And and I'm just concerned about Rotherham. I don't think... I think they're only... I know I've said this a few times. They're only likely to come out of January weaker, in my opinion, than stronger. Yes, they might end up... In terms of bodies, they might have more signings. But I think 
if they're going to bring anyone in with any quality, they're going to have to lose someone, and that I'm not sure they'll be able to replace the quality of a Barlazer or an Ogbeni if they have to cash in in January. So the form's really poor. Defensively, they've been abysmal, non-competitive from the start of games away from home, way too reliant on home form that's not that great at the moment. Matt Taylor's looking, I wouldn't say out of his depth, because I think he's been dealt a very bad and difficult hand. But let's be fair, Rotherham are where they should be. You know, we I predicted them to go down at the start of the season. You predicted them to go down at the start of the season. They are a bottom three budget and they should be battling relegation. That is where they should be. But ultimately, they are heading in one way and that's a negative trajectory. And you'd be concerned if you're a Rotherham fan right now. Without a doubt. I mean, they're in free fall, aren't they? I mean, you look at their recent run, they've lost four of the last five. You know, they, they failed to score in three of those away from home. Every time they go away from home, they 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 practically nailed on to lose, aren't they? It is that bad, you know. You expect them to be comfortably beaten on the road, and I mean, Sheffield United won't care considering they're flying out at the top. But the fact that they lost to them at home to Rotherham is unbelievable. To be fair, back in back in November, it's it's quite remarkable that the Blades lost that one. But you know, I look at the you know when I come to putting the accumulator on, and I don't mean any you know any humour or disrespect to this, but if Rotherham away, I'm automatically picking. The team they're playing, they they just haven't got the ability to play on the road. And we said this from the outset of the season, didn't we? It was you know it's been a trend every time they've been in the championship in the last few seasons. They just cannot compete away from home. And we said at the very start of the season, you know, when things were going reasonably well, you know, they they, they had a really good start to the season, didn't they? You think back, they were unbeaten in their first five games. They only lost one of the first seven. You know, they look good. They look competitive. They look solid. And the backbone for that was the home form. But that's just completely disintegrated now. And you got you have to go back to the 15th of October for the last time they won at home. That is, you know, that is criminal, isn't it? For, you know, a team that relies on their home form to stay afloat. So, you know, in, in Matt Taylor's sense, you can't put it all on him. He's having to work with, a, you know, a very, you know, not sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's probably, you know, limited is probably one word, but it's certainly a squad that is not littered with, championship level players in my opinion bar the odd few I really don't think it is a championship level squad I think there's teams in league one with a better squad to be quite honest so they have got you know a lot of problems to iron out the owner Tony Stewart is receiving a lot of the brunt from the fans saying that you've not you know you've not back managers enough obviously mainly Paul Warren in the last few years when they've got to the championship and you know it's it's happened again isn't it it is it is history repeating itself so Matt Taylor by somewhere or another, he has got to be supported by Tony Stewart in the in the uh, in the transfer window we're in now. They need a handful of players at the very least for me to get out of this, particularly in an attacking sense. They are desperate for goals to be added to that team. So there's a lot of work to be done for Rotherham. Matt Taylor, of course, he'll be disappointed with the start he's made, but I don't think you can automatically pin it all on him. I really don't. I think you know the, the squad he's working with is that limited for this level that it would take a hell of a lot from any manager to to really, you know, sort of have an impact on this team at this level. So, personally, like Wigan, I think they are, you know, only heading in one direction this season. And no doubt it's going to be a case of, you know, the thing that we've seen in the past. They'll go down, they'll bounce straight back up again, come back up and see if they can survive next time around. But until the chairman, you know, puts his hand in his pocket a little bit deeper to invest in the playing team, 
there's no sign of it changing because that squad is just not good enough for the championship, unfortunately, barring, you know, a handful of players such as Barlasa, Ben Wiles and probably Ogbené. So, you know, and like you said, you fear that they could lose some of them this month. That That is the key worry. You know, Barlasa is going to be attracting a lot of interest. So, you know, it's going to be a challenging month for Munch, a travelling month for Rotherham, I should say. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do, but they need, for me, at least four or five players at the very, very least to come in. But at the minute, they're not exactly an attractive proposition, are they? That's the problem. Plenty for Robin fans to chew on there. Yeah, um, plenty to that. munch. Yeah, plenty to munch on. Um, <laughs> there were four teams, George, that got seven points out of a possible nine. That was Millwall, Sunderland, Hull City and Sheffield United. Just quickly, of those four, who have you been most impressed with over the Christmas period? I think you've got to give credit to Hull, to be fair. I really do. I, I think, you know, they've... You know, under Liam Rossini, they've not had a bad start prior to, you know, this run that they'd had, but there's just been a few draws in there, which kind of masked the, you know, the, the performances that had been there under him. But, you know, in the last few days, they've they've put together two back-to-back away wins, two solid wins, 1-0 at Birmingham, 4-1 at Wigan. And all of a sudden, you know, you think, you look at it, they've jumped five places themselves since Christmas Day. So they've had a really good Christmas period, seven points out of nine. You know, they've not had the... With respect, they've not had the most challenging of fixture lists, but who cares if you're a Hull fan? Who cares if you you know you've got to get the points on the board and they've done that. They're five games unbeaten now. They've only lost once since Liam Richardson took over. It's the longest current unbeaten run of the season as well. It must be said, you know, under under Liam Richardson now, I think they've only lost one of their first eight games, and that was in the dying seconds at home to Reading in the last game before the World Cup. So you know they could quite easily be sitting here unbeaten still under Liam Richardson. So, you know, there's been signs for him that he he was the right appointment. The challenge now for me is to try and transform their home form. I think with Hull, the good thing for them is they will get backed in January as well. We've already will. seen them heavily linked with Malcolm Ebiwowe from um, Crystal Palace, uh, Alan Connolly as well from Brighton. Yeah. So they're two players that should come in in January already. And, yeah. you know, the owner has... Been and to be fair, quite they're... happy to back the team financially since taking. And to be fair, even though obviously there was a lot of foreign imports in the summer, there were some good individuals among that. They have got probably one of the better squads in probably the bottom bottom six or eight, something like that. Yeah. Esther Pinyan's been back in the goals recently. He's scored in the last two games, and we know you know he's capable of finding the net. And you look at Hull's next game, Huddersfield at home. That's a real opportunity to pull that little bit further clear of the bottom three. So. I think Hull will be absolutely fine. I really do. They've got a decent side. They've got a good manager who, you know, did a very good job at Derby in the circumstance of what he was under there. So I think Liam Rossini will will take Hull forward. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think as a progressive appointment, which it strikes as being, I think he will be a good fit for Hull. So the only concern for me for them is they've got to try and, you know, turn the, the, uh, the home ground. I can't even think of the name. So that many changes over the years. MKM Stadium. MKM Stadium. We're at That's the one. I always wanted to call it the KCOM. That's what it's been it always for, for it me. It was actually the KC. Not that the, was it. That's the one that sticks with me. But yeah, they've not won at home now, Hull, since the 5th of October. So, you know, they've had a real poor run on their own patch. So that's the challenge for them now. Just try and get some wins on the board at home. But Huddersfield at home, the other side of the FA Cup. Big opportunity to, you know, put a little bit more distance between themselves and the bottom three. All of a sudden, they're up to 16th. And, you know, they're, they're only three points behind Norwich. They're only five points behind West Brom. It's not exactly a Mission Impossible gap to plug if they want to, you know, climb the table a little bit, little bit more a bit more steadily. So, 
I think Hull will be fine. It's, you know, it's the likes of Huddersfield, Rotherham, Wigan, Blackpool that I really do fear for. I think it'll be three of those four that do drop. I, I tend to agree with you. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Hope you've enjoyed this little festive roundup. And obviously we'll be back after the FA Cup weekend to delve deeper into the Championship state of play. Thank you as always for listening. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode as soon as they are live every single week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 as well. Huge thank you again to our sponsors, Cars Accepted, for their support this season. Go and check them out for any of your business needs. Thank you for listening as always, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.